This episode is brought to you by Candlewick Press, publisher of The Mermaid, The Witch, and The Sea, the new YA fantasy novel by Maggie Takuda Hall, in which a desperate orphan turned pirate and a rebellious imperial lady find a connection on the high seas. In a world divided by colonialism and threaded with magic, the pirate Florian, born Flora, has always done whatever it takes to survive. Lady Evelyn Hasegawa, a highborn imperial daughter, is on board as well, accompanied by her own casket. But Evelyn's one-way voyage to an arranged marriage is interrupted when the captain and crew show their true colors and enslave their wealthy passengers. Both Florian and Evelyn have lived their lives by the rules and whims of others, but when they fall in love, they decide to take their fate into their own hands, no matter the cost. So here we have two main characters of color, and queer characters at that, in a world of pirates, mermaids, and magic, with themes inspired by Japanese folklore. I don't know who that's not for, but if you hear those things and are like, that is definitely for me. The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea by Megatakuda Hall, and published by Candlewick Press, is available now wherever books are sold. Welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project. I am Emily Nagoski. And I'm Amelia Nagoski. And this is a podcast for any feminist, which we take to mean anyone who believes that being a woman is uh, neither a medical problem nor a moral failing, but who also is overwhelmed and exhausted by the shit show that is 2020. Um, and still, despite being overwhelmed and exhausted, is worried that they're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, it's everybody we know pretty much basically because there and is Olive so much is really to be done. Excited that I am talking. Olive is so happy that I am talking. Are you happy, Olive? Yes, I have to lick you. I have to lick you. Olive is so happy. I'm gonna let her out. Hang on one second. Okay. Let's see. There's Trump to get out of office. There's a pandemic to end. There's police brutality to end. There's a wall that needs to be demolished. There's babies in cages who need to be released. There's a lot to be done. So I was just listing things that have to be done so if people feel like they're not doing enough. It's probably the overwhelming number of things that have to be done. And it's not anybody's job to do all those things. We all just need to do what we can with the resources we have. Yes. If it feels like it's a little bit too hard, like you're doing just a little bit too much, that's the right amount. Yeah. Just, yeah. Not so much that you collapse in a heap. No. And one of the things we hope to take off your plate, as it were, with this episode is the question of food. And I, I think the moral of the story is going to be food, colon. It's complicated. Yeah. I mean, it's not complicated, actually. Technically, what I mean is it's complex mm -hmm. in the most technical mathematical sense. So we had a section on food in the first draft of Burnout, and we cut it. Yeah. Why did we cut it? It was too complex. It was, it was too big. There are too many were, variables. Yeah. The answer ended up being like, you need to do you. And it was a whole lot of words to end up having no specific advice to give anybody. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be its own book. And people have written a lot of books about food. So many. Almost none of them are any good at all because they all try to give specific advice that will not be useful for many, many people. Right. So what we're going to so do we're not, this So we're not going to give people advice. Here's what you should eat. We're not going to do that. I mean, I can. Yeah. But I'm going to, what I'm going to say is going to be profoundly dissatisfying because you know what the advice is? Vegetables. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vegetables, they're real good for you. You yeah. should maybe eat some if you can. Yeah. Beyond that, you need you need to do you. My actual only real guidelines I follow for eating these days are to eat a vegetable every day. Yeah. That, uh, and how's that going for you? I ate vegetables today. Yep. Yeah. See? I had seaweed today. So when I say that food is complex, what I mean is that is an equation that we are all doing in our heads that has so many variables, this equation, that it is pretty much impossible to solve the equation. Right. So let's do a mapping of what these variables are. Variable number one, cost. which is actually going to be more than one variable, which is mm-hmm. why it's complex. One mm-hmm. is the cost to yourself, which is how much money it costs. Yes. But it's also how much time do you have to invest mm-hmm. turning it into something that you eat? How much skill does it require? Do you have the skill required to turn it into something that you can eat? And equipment. Equipment to turn it into something that you can eat, right? Mm-hmm. Cost to you. And emotional labor cost to you mm-hmm. two cost to others this is oh, this is many different kinds of variables folded into this one variable because there's the human labor that was involved to get it to you as food there was the environmental cost what cost was there to the ozone layer to carbon emissions to get this food to you what cost was there in terms of animal ethics do you have questions about the kind of life that was lived and anything that you eat comes down to something that was once alive mm-hmm. whether it was an animal or a plant it was something that was alive and now it's not and what are your ethical considerations in terms of the sacrifice of that life in order to give you life that's a second variable cost to others human labor animal ethics environmental cost then there's health oh, which i mean this is the part where everyone is different Everyone is different. I know you have read a lot of advice about what's good for you, but the fact is different people's chemistry is different and requires different kinds of food. And this is going to gradually build into a large scientific catalog of sort of like types. Genetically, we'll be predisposed. I know you're being like all sciencey and stuff about like what nutrients people need. I am. But for most people, when they think about health, they're thinking, will this food put excess fat on my body? Yeah, that's not actually what I mean. But I, I know that's right, not that's, what you mean. But I think that's that what most what people, people think of thinking. when they think of health. Is, is this healthy food fat? is food that doesn't make me fat. Exactly. Right. Right. Which, Which is not a thing. It's not we, a thing. We did a bikini industrial complex episode, right? I don't know. We did. You sang a song. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So insert the Bikini Industrial Complex episode here, and in particular, Amelia's song saying that there is not a relationship, certainly not the relationship we're all led to believe there is, between weight and health. And just because a food adds fat to your body doesn't mean it is bad for you. Ask anybody who has almost starved to death. We didn't do a Bikini Industrial Complex episode. We did a new hotness episode. So we have not talked about like the large scale industrialized systems that are in place the propaganda that is endorsed by the government to lie to you and tell you that healthy food is food that doesn't make you fat we have not talked about that in depth maybe we'll do that okay but also the 
it gets so complicated when it comes to the government's relationship to food recommendations. Oh, yeah. Because who makes our food recommendations? The Department of Agriculture. Yeah. The Department of Agriculture mm -hmm. makes the nutritional recommendations. Right. Not the There's Department of There's an inherent health. conflict of interest. Yeah. Yeah. There's all this oh, milk that needs to right. get eaten by so the American public, so definitely you should all be consuming a lot good. of... Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay, so health. Health, everybody's different. We will come back to each one of these. I'm just trying to get a like, lay of the land of why mm -hmm. it is so complicated, why it takes so much of our time and energy and thought and worry to like make the whole food thing happen. It's because it has all of these variables. Because health, who the fuck even knows what the relationship between specific foods are and your health? And then the final fourth variable, which is actually like sandwiching up a whole bunch of variables, is pleasure. Mm -hmm. Do you like the food you are eating? Does it fulfill your cultural identity? Does it bring you a sense of connectedness with the people that you love? Does it bring you joy? Does it taste good? Do you feel guilty when you eat it? Right. Pleasure versus the opposite of yeah. pain, suffering. Do you think food should be a punishment to you? Like right. it's, it's medicine that you take. And uh, if it doesn't bring you any kind of joy, then that's how it's supposed to be. Right. People have different relationships with food. And we're not saying anybody's supposed to have any specific kind of relationship with food. What we want to lay out here is why Pleasure is one of the variables. And the sheer number and complexity of the variables involved in solving the equation make it an impossible equation to solve. And the moral of the story is going to be you solve this equation in the same way you catch a ball. When somebody throws a ball at you, yeah, there's a calculus that can describe the arc of the ball and its speed approaching you. And you could sit down and you could write out that equation and you could solve it and catch the ball because you would know where to be. Mm -hmm. Or you could trust your body, put out your hand and catch the ball. Mm -hmm. So when you're making choices about food, I know it's going to feel slow and cumbersome and laborious. But ultimately, the thing you do is you put out your hand and you catch the ball. The That takes practice. formula though. is too complex to just solve logically and rationally. So what you do instead, instead of spending time writing lists about the pros and cons about various food and calculating all the specific details of stuff and tracing the carbon footprints of the apples from New Zealand versus the apples from New England. What you do is you catch the ball. You, you allow to yourself to be imperfect. It takes so much practice. Yeah, you're going to drop the ball a few times. It's many times. Over and over and over again, you're going to drop the ball. And gradually the thing about get better. food is you eat kind of every day. Every day. Often Hopefully. multiple times a day. Usually. And what's the goal? The goal is to try to catch the ball. Yeah. Put out your hand. Mm-hmm. Practice every time. Mm-hmm. Look You're at the ball. Sometimes and that's pay attention cool. to where the ball's going. Yeah. And try. Notice when you miss. That's cool. That's a thing that happens. Oh, I missed. Um, so I want to use the example of a recent food decision that my family made that is going to cause people to have a lot of feelings based on these different variables. So here is the food decision that my family made. We bought a quarter beef from a local butcher and a local farmer. So cost to us. It was not cheap beef. It was a good price considering the quality. It will require a whole lot of time and skill 
to turn this very great variety of cuts, some of which I've never cooked before in my life, to turn these pieces of meat into food that we can eat. So it's both time and skill. Skills I will need to learn in some cases. Cost to others? I mean, how do people feel about the fact that I, there's like this one cow, this one steer actually, that died and a quarter of it is now in a chest freezer in my house? Yeah. That animal who like lived a life on the grassy hills of Pioneer Valley in Western Massachusetts. It was humanely raised, grass fed, humanely slaughtered, professionally. Yeah, but locally. it was slaughtered. It's yeah, an animal but that was it's slaughtered. a cow. Yeah. It's an animal that died so that I could eat it. And that's a choice I made. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are going to be like, that doesn't feel okay to me. Yeah. People are 100% granted permission. Totally feel that way. Yeah. People feel that way. And that is not the thing that was right for me. My particular nutritional situation is that like meats are really important to me. And I feel okay about a lot of the domesticated animals that we eat. One of my big concerns about eating beef is that I know industrialized beef, especially, is really bad for the environment. Right. Um, so that's another part of the cost. Is and the, even uh, pasture-raised beef is still like that's there's a lot of cows belching and you know emitting gases and and using up corn resources and water right. resources that sure. humans could use. So there's the ethical life of the cow, of the cattle. There's the environmental cost of meat rather than plants. There's the, and so I think that the locally raised, humanely raised and slaughtered aspect of it helps with the animal ethics piece of it. Cause this was like, it was, it was really important to me to divest from the industrial yeah. meat process. Yeah. That just feels really increasingly unacceptable to me. Yeah. But I have enough money to be able to pay for meat. Right. That was raised and slaughtered humanely. It costs which, like three times more. Than industrial at beef. least double for sure double mm-hmm. yeah it's an enormous cost to me that i can afford to take on in order to reduce the cost to the animal yeah but that doesn't necessarily impact the environmental cost it does help maybe with the labor cost of it because one of the things that raised my awareness like just sort of got me refocused on thinking about this was the number of covid outbreaks in meat processing plants yeah. across the country especially yeah. in the plain states It reminded me that the working conditions in the plants that process the meat that was raised in conditions that I would not consider humane, those human laborers are also not treated well. So it's another part of the cost to others, like what cost is involved in me picking up this package of ground meat in a styrofoam container at my grocery store. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and then there's the health part. People have a lot of complicated feelings about like, what is the impact of meat on our diet? Like, should humans even be eating red meat? There is literally conflicting evidence. There's some evidence that says you should only eat meat. And then there's evidence that says you should never eat meat. Never eat meat. Simply based on what it does to your body when you consume it. And Emily, which one's right? Yeah, exactly. When there is conflicting evidence, what that means is that for some people, one thing is true. And for another thing, another thing is true. And for most people, it's somewhere in between. And you can figure out mm-hmm. where you fall in that what applies to you based on, oh, God, listening to your body. Oh, fuck. I know. Sorry. It's like your least favorite thing to do. You'd actually, rather listen to almost anything. Actually, listening to my body about food is one of the first things that I learned how to do. 
when I was a teenager, I have a very distinct memory of discovering that there was a difference between hunger, like I need to eat, I haven't eaten in seven hours, I need to eat, versus having a craving. I was in my teens when I discerned that difference. Hey! Yeah. I didn't get that. I called it being mouth hungry versus being stomach hungry. My mouth wanted food or my when stomach wanted food. When you were a teenager? Food. When I was a teenager, yeah. So there's one domain where you were ahead of me. Well, the reason that I was ahead is because I was careful about what I was eating because I was afraid I'd get fat. So when I wanted food, I noticed, oh, I don't actually need food. I just want that food. So that's kind of a toxic reason to have been good at it. But yeah, it was the first it thing is, that I was It is. a toxic to... reason to be good at it. It's totally bad, but <laughs> but there it is. <sighs> yeah. So the health piece is your body will tell you. My body is it simply requires green vegetables and meat, whether it's fish, chicken, cow, lamb. Like yeah, feels fulfilled and happy and balanced when I'm mm-hmm. consuming really large quantities of animal protein and fat. Mm-hmm. with a side of like a big mound of greens greens preferably covered in animal fat <laughs> <laughs> can i so can i go back like, to cost for a second is that okay sure yeah because for most of my life when i was making food choices cost was i mean the first and last oh yeah, oh, yeah. overwhelming requirement i i couldn't even consider anything more expensive i was i was really just looking for the cheapest way to eat oh yeah for years and years and years and we were taught we were raised to think very frugally about we were super poor so this is how combination of being super poor and our grandparents were of course depression era right grandparents who like saved every scrap yeah we learned about like looking at unit prices at the grocery store and i have taught everyone i've ever lived with about unit prices unit prices how do they not know i don't know (laughs) yeah Rich comes home and tells me when he's like, purchase based on unit price. Nice. Yeah. So price, when I was in grad school, I aimed for my meals to cost between one and two dollars a meal. Yeah. Yeah. And the only way to do that and actually be able to sustain yourself through the day is to eat piles of pasta and rice. Yeah. So my trick was to get these one dollar packets of pasta and powder that when you boil it turns into a sauce. Turns into food. Yeah. And then I put in a box of frozen green vegetable, broccoli or spinach, and Mm -hmm. a can of tuna. Mm -hmm. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. $2 and I would eat all day on that. Yeah. But like, (laughs) that was how I ate. And you have to. You have to make decisions based on money when, I mean, money is the determining factor about how you exist, especially in America. So for a lot of people, the decision's not going to come down to health. And it's not going to come down to your feelings about the ethics. It's going to come down to... What can I afford? Hang on one second. Was that, did they get too dark? Did they make it too sad? No, that's absolutely true. Uh, I am currently looking up what proportion of their income Americans spend on food, and it's about 10% total. Mm-hmm. Half of it is food we eat at home, and half of it is food we eat away from home, which, of course, I think people are pretty aware that that has drastically changed so that we used to spend 15% of our income. 50, 60 years ago, we spent 15% of our total income on the food that we ate at home. Food has gotten kind of cheaper relative to other things because of government subsidies. It Mm -hmm. gets complicated. But basically, so 10% of your income 
spent on food, you have to make choices about price because whatever your income is de- decides what that 10% is. Yeah. And I make a choice to spend more than 10% of my income on food because yeah. I can mm-hmm. and still be able to pay my mortgage. So for me, the question of like, my body will tell me what I need to eat, it was limited Almost all of my life has been limited to, am I hungry or am I just having a craving? Do I need to eat or do I just want to eat? I was never making decisions about what to eat. You were just eating what was cheap. The what was what's affordable. Yeah. Like the more nuanced of how much meat makes my body happy? How much fat makes my body happy? How many vegetables do I need in order to feel good and have my digestion continue as it should? That's brand new in my life when I can actually afford to buy the food that makes me feel healthy. That's brand, brand new. Olive has finished her frozy and is expressing her opinion that she would like the second part of her dinner. And it's only 2.30 and she's acting like she's starving. She is. She's starving. (laughs) No. Thunder is being extremely good and silent and sitting and staring at me with this face. Olive, just are like you this. mouth hungry or are you stomach hungry? Are you stomach hungry? I think she's mouth hungry. So there's probably so, a lot of people who have never considered the nuances of never had the opportunity. Foods, never had the opportunity. And we live in a world where a third of families missed their housing payment last month. Yeah. And if you can't pay your mortgage or your rent, what kind of food choices are available to you? Right. You're, you're not going to be going to the local butcher and paying premium prices for like the for, local grass yeah. fed. No. Like, you know that this cow lived a happy scampering no. life no. in the hills. You're buying a 20 pound bag of rice. Right. Because you're buying a 20 pound bag of rice and the ground beef in the sale area of the beef that's about to go off. Yep. You get and, early in the morning so you can yes. get the like super discounted about to spoil stuff. Been there, done that, for fully price. approved. Because cost. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings us to the last dimension, which is pleasure. Do you like what you are eating? Does it fulfill your identity? Does it bring you a sense of connectedness with the people you care about? So the nourishment of food is not just the nutrients that you ingest. It is the physical pleasure that your body experiences as a result of the food, as it meets your tongue and your sensory organs and goes down into your body and moves through your digestive tract. There is the experience of being connected through your food to the other people in your family, of being connected through your food to your culture, to your ancestors. Food is not just about physical nourishment. It's about spiritual, cultural, social relational food is love in the largest sense food is very much like god in the way it functions in our lives it's one of the first things that humans shared together as a society it is as fundamental as music which is as fundamental food as is a language. form of communication our grandmother's food always tasted better than anybody else's food and we joked that it's because it was the love you could taste the love <laughs> and we joked about it but like really yeah her gravy yeah but like real but like yeah yeah no to this day when i when i like want like soothing comfort food it's exactly the food that grandma made us on the back porch yeah it's the pot roast and the chicken nuggets with the cheese sauce 
Or just a sandwich on white bread with like a single slice of iceberg lettuce. Made specifically the way we individually liked it. I liked Lebanon bologna and you didn't. I like Lebanon bologna. Oh, you did? Yeah. And American cheese. And it was like this blandest. Or those rolls. We would go to the grocery store and choose the rolls out of the bin at the bakery and buy the cheese and the cold cuts. And she would make the sandwiches and give it to us on a plate with a pickle on the side. Cut Mm-hmm. diagonally because as we all know sandwiches taste better when they're cut, cut off you diagonally. create more space for the love <laughs> seriously cut diagonally. this tastes like being safe so food is is not just about <laughs> macronutrients micronutrients and phytonutrients for fuck's sake those things god knows they're important god knows it can make it an entire food can be medicine Especially if you have chronic mental health issues, food can absolutely be medicine and it can be poison. It absolutely can be, be. especially if it's so strange that food that counts as oh, just yeah. like mainstream food that everybody eats yeah. for a certain proportion of the population, it will very slowly kill them. We are in that population. Or very quickly kill them. If you're allergic to peanuts, for example, most people can eat peanuts, but a few people are going to die if they come near to peanuts, yeah. And we, as a culture, are not awesome not having an opinion about other people not eating (laughs) things that are okay for us. What do you mean you're not having a slice of cake? Have a slice of cake! It's fine. It won't kill you. Oh my god. I, I think people do that because they already feel so guilty for having done it. And they think that, well, you have to make this decision, too, because if you don't make the same decision I made, then clearly I'm making a bad decision. And I'm then that's a, your decision is a judgment on my decision, right? Exactly. Yeah. I am not thinking about changes in people's behaviors. I just want to help people understand why food feels like it takes up so much emotional and intellectual space in their lives. I mean, am I, am I the only one who like food just yeah. like it just takes up a lot of brain space? Yeah. It doesn't for me anymore, especially if I don't eat in public. It only bothers me now. I only worry about it now when I eat in public because I know I'm going to have there's going to be food talk at the table yeah. and I'm going to have to respond. That's that's the only time when it really takes over my life. But it used to be, I used to be obsessed with food and think about it all the time yeah. and worry about it all the time. And there are so many variables. No wonder you'd worry about it all yeah. the time because there's how expensive it is and what it's going to do to your health and whether or not it's going to make you fat. Yeah. And I, amazingly, yeah. all of that took away from, does this taste good? Does this make me feel like a whole person? Yeah, I, Yeah. The, the only sense that I had of food I liked versus food I didn't like was food that made me, that tasted like really intensely delicious, either because it was grandma's cooking or because it was greasy, dough, sweet, cake. intensely, you know, yeah, fried, exactly, exactly, sugary something. Um, it was that or it was bland. Yeah. Be- and that's partly because I couldn't afford high quality food and the only way i could make food delicious was to add a lot of salt or fat and sugar and so i couldn't taste nuance and i wasn't worried about right. nuance and i i was really only worried about right. what i could afford and was yeah. i eating too many calories calories yeah. calories are not a thing can we just That's, make it's it a very long conversation thing. 
But so I once had the opportunity to talk to uh, Google about some like health tech they were developing. And one of the few pieces of like, seriously, don't do this feedback I had was don't do calories. Calories, calorie burning, calorie counting is totally meaningless. It does not tell you anything about anything. It is all a fiction. It's not a fiction that food has calories. It is not a fiction that our bodies burn calories. But it's, I mean, it's a unit of energy. But like, (laughs) but okay, like, it is not the case that like the calories you bring in are all the same and equivalent what your body does to any particular kind of food really is different because our bodies are incredibly intelligent we are these omnivorous dumpsters for food we can survive on almost anything our bodies will take whatever we put in them and be like (laughs) i'll do my best yeah or pigs like sure goats thanks i will try Our bodies are enormously cooperative. They will absolutely try to turn whatever we put into it into life and body. They will try. God bless our bodies and the things we put them through in terms of the food we put in Mm -hmm. them. (laughs) And uh, the technology around food has gotten very advanced. Yeah. Uh, Food industry knows exactly what to do to food to make us want more of it. Do you know the phrase vanishing mouthfeel? Oh, yeah. Because I've read salt, sugar, fat. Right. That's where I learned it, too. Salt, sugar, fat is this very interesting book about the food industry. And it's a thing that I had previously noticed about Oreo cookies, for example. When we were little, this did not happen with Oreo cookies. But now, when you bite into an Oreo cookie, it vanishes in your mouth. It just dissolves Mm -hmm. into nothing. And it's wonderful. It is so pleasurable. You have to eat another one. (laughs) I enjoy it a lot. And the thing is, you can just keep eating them Mm -hmm. because it's like you're not eating. They just go into your mouth and evaporate. It's like cotton candy, only with the crunch of a cookie. Mm -hmm. It's magical. We could talk about this for so long. Mm. The deal is, so a lot of the uh, time and thought that I put into food these days is because uh, another food choice that we made was to join uh, CSA. We have a weekly farm share which provides us with a sort of like set amount of vegetables fresh from the local farms. And basically it's all we can do to like barely eat all of these vegetables over the course of the week. We have already started to freeze vegetables for the winter Mm -hmm. because we can't keep up. Oh, that makes sense because you're not going to get deliveries in the winter. Right. So I have... I invest a lot of time being like, we have to eat the beets. We have to get the beets eaten. What am I going to make with the beets? We have to eat the kale. I have to get the kale eaten. What am I going to make with the kale? So, and it takes a great deal more time in the kitchen preparing the fucking kale and preparing the fucking beets. And like, I, because I am the cheapskate that I am, I'm like, there are greens on those beets. I'm going to use those greens. Those greens aren't trash. The greens on the carrots, carrot tops. Carrot tops aren't trash. They don't just go in the compost. You eat those. Right. How can I prepare? Mm-hmm. What a skill can I apply to mm-hmm. the carrot tops to turn them into food? Mm-hmm. Like that, it takes it takes a lot of work. And the only reason the farm share makes sense for us now is because I'm home all the time. <laughs> like I was traveling. I was on the road a third mm-hmm. of the time, at least. All the time. <laughs> I was supposed to have been in California this week. I am not in California this week, which I approve of mm-hmm. and 
it's only because I'm home mm-hmm. and have the time and energy mm-hmm. to put all this work into the food that I can make the food happen. As opposed to lots of people who are home all the time right now, but they're trying to work and homeschool their kids. And are raising children. And they have less time than ever to prepare food. And what they really need is something that's already done and they can push a button on the microwave and it'll be ready in five minutes and everybody's fed. And the farm share is not expensive in terms of money. It's $20 a week, $10 per person for like all the vegetables we can eat. Wow. But it is very expensive in terms of the labor required to turn that mountain of vegetables into meals. Yeah. That is a real trade-off. And that's a that's a real trade-off. Some people have plenty of yeah, one and Yeah, I mean, you don't have other. much of either. That's when um, you start making sacrifices in the pleasure and health domains, right? So this is why, like, the, the, the I'm calling it just four variables, yeah. but each yeah. of those four variables is in itself at least four other variables. Yeah. And when you change one, you necessarily change the others also. <laughs> yeah. Which is why it gets too complex and all you can do is put out your hand and try to catch the ball with each meal. Like, you make the best choices you can, like the thing you say. You make the best, you do the best you can with the resources you have available to you right now. For a lot of people right now, the resources they have available are less than they generally do. Or there's been a shift. They have less money, but more time. They have the same amount of money and less time. Yeah. Um, And so these sacrifices need to come from some others of the variables. Mm -hmm. So the one behavior change that I would ask for is that people notice when they have opinions about other people's food choices and... uh. Just set those to one side and practice being neutral about other people's food choices. Like if you notice yourself having feelings about me and my quarter cow, like, well, must be nice, Emily, to be able to afford to buy all that meat all at once. Like it's all the meat we're going to eat for a year, probably. But I could pay for it all at once up front. Put it in a chest freezer. If you notice yourself having feelings like, Emily, I can't believe you, meat eating, disgusting, horrible. Right? That's... You have those feelings. If you have feelings about, like, Emily, all that red meat is going to be terrible for you. Mm-hmm. If you have, be like, ugh, Emily, meat is disgusting. How can you eat all that fat? Like, whatever feelings you have, notice that you had those feelings. That's fine. And they have nothing to do with me. And my food has nothing to do with you. So you can just notice that you had those feelings and set them to one side. One of the things we can do to make the world a better place is not invest time and energy having conversations about other people's food choices. Notice how complex it is. God knows it is complex. And let it be okay that different people working with all these different variables are going to come to a different conclusion than you do for your food choices. Amelia eats really differently than I do. Mm -hmm. Also, Amelia likes to cook. This is the whole thing we haven't even talked about. I... (laughs) Do not enjoy cooking. Which is ironic because you have like a quarter of a cow and a farm share and stuff. Right. The reason I have those things is to reduce the decision making. Yeah. I don't have to decide what vegetables to buy. They just come every week. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, shit, I got to make something with beets in it. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have three different kinds of kale. I better make a kale salad. <laughs> Like, yeah. reduce the decision-making because I don't enjoy, like, oh, oh, I know. Let me choose the different kinds of kale and I'm going to make the most gorgeous kale salad that's going to be delightful. No, I don't give a fuck. Tell me what to eat and I will make something that I can eat. Right? And Amelia enjoys it. Part of the pleasure for you comes from the cooking. 
Is that wrong? No, no. I, it's hard to remember that now because my appetite yeah, has been COVID, screw, yeah. screwed up because of COVID. Um, but that generally, broadly speaking, that is true. I like making a meal out of ingredients. That's a that's a that's a thing I used to like three weeks ago before I had COVID. And what was the food that first drew your like active interest in food after all that time of having no taste, sense of taste and no appetite? I mean, the first thing that tasted delicious was a roasted chicken. Really? Oh, pancakes. The first thing that I went, oh, I want to eat that is I was listening to an audiobook, and in chapter two, the hero eats pancakes. And I was like, oh, pancakes. And I went downstairs and I made pancakes because that was the first time I was interested in food in weeks. And that was an entirely a pleasure-based decision. That was an entirely a, I, I want food for the first time in a long time. And I'm going to take advantage of this moment. And I'm yeah. going to eat the thing my body said yes to. And I do not ordinarily eat like starchy, sugary food like that. Ordinarily, it makes my body feel bad. And honestly, it, it did the same thing. It did not make me feel great <laughs> physically. But I ate food in, like enthusiastically. For yeah. the first time in a long time. And that was that was good enough for me, man. And I'm sure there are listeners who are like, well, pancakes, Amelia, all of that refined carbohydrate is going to send your insulin levels through the roof. And it did. Yeah, it did that. Must mm -hmm. be nice for you to just yeah. be able to eat that. And like, cool, have opinions about uh, pancakes. And Amelia hadn't eaten a real meal for two and a half weeks. <laughs> yeah. And pancakes yeah. were the thing that did it. Yeah. So, uh, thing I want people to remember: number one is that solving the food equation is literally impossible. Do so the best people you are can. frustrated and worried. Yeah. yeah, of course you're frustrated and worried. It's this terrible. is an impossible thing that you're being asked to do. Yeah, our food system is absurd. You just got to do the best you can. There's no such thing as eating the way our bodies want to eat. Our food system is too industrialized. We do not have yeah. access to nope. animals that are paleolithic ancestors. Like they were eating, they were not eating the same animals, even if it nope. was technically the same species. Biochemically, they were like, that's just not a thing that exists. Does mm -hmm. not exist. So uh, it's not, there is no right choice to make. It's just you doing the best you can with the resources you have available. Thing number one. Mm -hmm. If it feels complicated, that's because it's very fucking complicated. Thing so number two. You don't have two, to feel guilty about you maybe did it wrong. Cause, yeah. Yeah. Because you just, your fault. you solved the, the equation as well as you could in the yeah. circumstances. And everyone's yeah. doing that. So um, thing number two, let's not have opinions about, let's not express opinions. Let's notice that we have like reactions to other people's food choices and uh, yeah. be okay with that because that's other people's, that's other people's stuff. You don't have to eat my food. I don't have to eat your food. Yeah, just practice non-judgment about other people's food choices. And the third thing, I do actually, this is my one like prescriptive piece, which is that it does actually change our brain's relationship to sensation when we can pause for even just five minutes a day and pay attention to something pleasurable. And food can be it doesn't have to be food 
It can be the stretching sensation of your body if that's pleasurable for you. It can be standing in the shower with the water running over your skin if that's pleasurable for you. It can be listening to music if that's pleasurable for you. But just spend five minutes focusing on a sensation that is pleasurable. And if that's food, you will literally be changing your brain's relationship with sensation, which inoculates you against pain. You are changing. And I say this as somebody who's been living with chronic back pain for months now mm-hmm. and have been like really invested in the research. <laughs> One of the things that has been most valuable for me is recognizing that when I create more space for paying attention to pleasure, my brain doesn't panic as much when a pain sensation comes along. Like we do learn from what we pay attention to. And when we can pause and pay attention to how delicious food can be. If you have access to delicious food, which I recognize not everybody does right now. Mm-hmm. So those are my three takeaways for I wanted to talk about food because yeah. it, it just feels like it's a big part of every day of our lives. Yeah. It feels moral, even though it is not moral. It feels like some people are better or worse. Some people are right or wrong. Nobody's better or worse. Nobody is right or wrong. Have I convinced anybody, do you think? I hope so. You agree with me. Yeah, it took me so long to stop worrying about food and to, but then all that did was increase my discomfort with eating in public and confronting other people's, you know, complicated feelings about food and having to have conversations. Because then for the decades that it took me to reach the place where I'm at, where I'm like, I'm going to eat what I'm going to eat because that's the right choice for me and have somebody tell me well how can you eat that or how can you not eat that or uh, don't make me explain my food choices so that that increased my discomfort yeah and I dealt with that by eating really differently in private than I did in public yeah when I ate in public I would just like very much go with the flow and when I ate in private it was like just math yeah just numbers calories as if that were a thing because I totally thought that was a thing yeah Yeah, it has taken a long time for me to get to, like, this sort of, like, soft, gentle kind of relationship with food. (laughs) And we haven't even talked about, like, food media and food TV and the way people spend more time watching food TV than they do cooking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, food. I knew we had to do at least one episode on food because it is such a large portion of how we spend our time and energy. And uh, I guess I'm asking for people not to spend less time and energy on food, but to shift their time and energy to being uh, more forgiving of themselves and other people and gentler and more sort of um, compassionate about the complexity. Yeah. Literal technical complexity when there are that many variables in a equation and when each of the variables influences each of the other variables that's an impossible to solve equation Mm -hmm. put out your hand and you try to catch the ball and you learn each time yeah is that is that doable oh i feel totally inadequate to like communicate effectively about this we cut the section about food from the book because of this feeling i'm having right now it's too big and too complicated but it It does have one very important take home, which is that do your best and really genuinely, that is enough. Your body's going to be fine 
your body can make life out of whatever you put into you're it. You're a goat. It will be fine. <laughs> you do not need to worry about how many blueberries versus how many almonds and what's a superfood and what's a no. nappy. Like you, you do not have to. You don't. You have, don't. I mean, you, you can, can if, if you get pleasure out of doing that, reading the research and like micromanaging every bite you took. If that gives Go you pleasure, for it. do it. But but you really don't have to. Don't really worry don't. about it. Yeah. If you just eat some vegetables, everything else is fine. Yeah. And we're not saying that as medical advice. We're saying that as like moral permission. Yeah. Do what feels right for your body. And your body is the one that will tell you there is no cultural messages. There's certainly nothing we can say other than a vegetable. Yeah. Vegetables are good for that you. Is that is wiser our... than what your own body is trying to tell you. Yeah. My riding instructor, my horseback riding instructor, has a sign in the barn that says nobody can teach riding as well as a horse. I think yeah. that probably no one can teach you about what to eat as well as your own body. Exactly. Egg. That's, exactly. That's if you have the resources to buy food to Based find on what out. your body says. Yeah. Based on what your body says, as opposed to just buying enough food to fill it up so it's not growling at you. Yeah. And if that's the situation you're in, don't worry. You're going to be fine. That's the situation you're in. You're going to be okay. You're, yeah. You're, it's not going to kill you. It it's sucks, not and we are not dismissing how much it sucks. We have both been, we've been broke, and we've been poor, and yeah. we know how hard that is. That's it for this episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. You can follow us on the social medias at FSP2020, uh, Instagram and Twitter. And I don't know what else to say. I think that's all the things to say. Thanks for listening. I don't have to decide what vegetables to buy. They just come every week. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, shit, I got to make something with beets in it. The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.